This podcast is brought to you by the Southeast Asia Research Group from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Welcome to Surge, a podcast series bringing you the latest wave of news, research, and insights from Southeast Asia researchers, experts, and artists. I'm your host, Grace Mbulan. In today's episode, we focus on Hmong diaspora. We will be joined by Tu Saik Lee. Tu Saik is a public speaker, hip-hop artist, storyteller, and spoken word poet from St. Paul, Minnesota. Lee is a graduate student in Southeast Asian Studies at UW-Madison. He founded Street Stops and Mountaintops, which connects teaching artists and organizers from the U.S. to work with Hmong students in villages and orphanages of Southeast Asia. Hi, too. Welcome to Surge. We're so happy to have you. Hey, thank you for having me. And it's an honor to be a part of this podcast series. And uh, I've listened to some previous podcasts and some very important voices and stories. So, so I'm just, I just appreciate being a part of it. So thank you. So before we delve into your projects and advocacies, um, can you tell us more about your background before you came here to the U.S.? Yeah, most definitely. Well, I am Hmong, Hmong diasporic or Hmong American in the sense of, you know, my my story, but I will delve into that. Uh, My parents are from Laos, or they grew up in Laos, and because of the secret war, which is at the time of the Vietnam War, uh, in Laos, my parents uh, escaped to Thailand, across the Mekong River, into Thailand, and lived in refugee camps of Thailand. And I was born on one of the refugee camps in Nong Khai. And then um, I was only eight months old. Then my family, just my parents and I, uh, came to the United States. Uh, and we lived in Syracuse, New York. And I, that's where I became a citizen of the United States along with my parents, and uh, we, when I was 12 years old, we moved to St. Paul, Minnesota, which has a very large Hmong community, and uh, that's where I've been ever since, uh, well, until I uh, moved to Madison for graduate school, so so that's my journey. That's very interesting. I've heard and I've seen through, like, my research that you, you got involved in the hip-hop scene um, in the Hmong community in the U.S. Can you tell, tell us more about that background and how your, like, your personal history has informed a lot of the hip-hop that you do in the U.S.? Yeah, I think that being a child growing up in the 80s, I see hip-hop on TV, yo, MTV raps, or just in commercials, you just see them as superheroes like breakdancing, rapping, DJing. And I remember in Syracuse, New York, we used, I just looked out the window and I could see people breakdancing and with boomboxes. But I just thought it was larger than life. Like I could never do it, um, especially because there was not that many Asians doing it. Um, and then when uh, I got into high school, I was writing a lot more poetry, and uh, to me, writing lyrics, being inspired by, at the time, like Tupac Shakur, being inspired by Public Enemy, Dead Prez, these artists that I was listening to, it made me, like, 
want to write about my culture, my story through hip hop. So, um, to because I grew up in this neighborhood called Frogtown in in St. Paul, and you know at that time there was negative influences. There was a lot of gangs. There was a lot of uh, issues between uh, different communities that lived there. There were a lot of Southeast Asian communities, black communities, white communities, Latino. And um, I, it was very diverse, but um, the way that I kept like on a positive path was writing lyrics, hip hop. But I wasn't performing them yet. I was just writing them in, in my own room by myself. And it wasn't until I became a college student that my younger brother Vong was got connected like he was in high school but he got connected to some young people that were like into the hip hop scene like they were into like the hip hop movement like which included organizing like events and the positive aspects of hip hop cuz for us we only knew kind of the commercial view like gangster rap that's what we saw on TV but like Vong's friends were into this positive movement. We're bringing young people together, building community through hip hop. And that's how we got into it, my brother and I. And we started performing as this group called Delicious Venom, as a duo. And we were very welcomed by the Twin Cities hip hop community because we were the only Hmong cats that were doing it at the time. And um, they really wanted us to be a part of what was going on. And that included like the Twin Cities Hip Hop Festival, uh, different events. And uh, I think that we were connected to like break dancing, uh, DJing, graffiti, and rapping with these, all these elements of hip hop that were very vibrant. And uh, so I think that's how we got involved, my brother and I, and uh, we felt really connected to that movement. It kept us away, and it kept us away from negative influences, and gave us the uh, the idea of giving back to community too. Actually, so I saw that you released your the first Hmong language hip hop album. I don't know how to pronounce it, um, but it's like the uni unified worldwide last year. So, can you tell us more about this and what was the motivation behind this? I know you've mentioned earlier that like what really motivated you was that idea of giving back to the community being in a community but could you tell us more about this album to me you know i thought about like it's it's not just it, it was hip-hop hip-hop was more of a vehicle for me to do give back to community but uh, for me i always felt like i didn't have many positive role models that looked like me growing up um and uh i a lot of the older guy Hmong men were were like they were like the gang leaders you know at the time and so I wanted to un really create opportunities for the next generation and really thought about you know how can I uh, help youth of the next generation so uh, for me my brother we we would perform in the community and then I would actually like make the effort go into schools and connect to students and uh, work with students and help them write their own songs and poetry too, because I got into spoken word poetry. So um, we wrote in English for 15 years, my brother and I, well, I would say at the time, 10 years, right? And um, it was great because we were representing our stories and sharing them with many different cultures. 
And eventually, uh, especially with my grandmother being uh, sponsored over through an immigration process, like I couldn't speak Hmong to her because I, uh, at the time, I, I lost my Hmong language. I mean, I was speaking it when I was younger, but then went to school. And then I just stopped speaking Hmong and um, I couldn't really communicate with my grandmother for actually a couple years. And it was in college where I uh, started to listen to her storytelling and really try to have conversation with her where I started to like learn Hmong little by little. And <clears throat> because I had this uh, idea to perform with my grandmother, <clears throat> we would she would do her kutsia, which is Hmong poetry chanting, and I would do my spoken word or hip hop and we would collaborate and weave our arts together. And <clears throat> we uh, we performed for like a few years and then we had this opportunity where I could travel to uh, visit my aunt in Thailand and she was living in a village, a Hmong village in Thailand. And so I went to go visit and stay with her and my cousins in the village from straight from the city to, to just living in the village, which was a huge shift for me. But I was willing to do it because I was trying to understand my roots too and where I came from. And I think there, like seeing the young people and seeing them do arts, like music, and I couldn't really share my art with them because it was all in English. <clears throat> and they, uh, most of them couldn't understand. So I really wanted to write more songs in the Hmong language because I understood that we are uh, people of diaspora. We are people that are all over the world and we speak many different languages, but Hmong is what still connects us. So that's where the idea of unified worldwide. So just translates to unified worldwide. And that's where that idea of that album came. And then um, coming back to the United States, because I was there for three months, and I came back, I did see that there was a indigenous people, like native folks in Minneapolis, who were uh, rapping in their native tongue, like in, in Ojibwe language. There was an artist named Tall Paul that was rapping in Ojibwe language, and they got these Ojibwe youth excited about their language. And I saw that many different indigenous artists were rapping in their native language as a way of revitalizing language. And I just really got motivated to write an album that was all in the Hmong language. And it took me a good amount of time to do that because it was relearning my language through song. And it was like working with my, my parents, working with other Hmong language specialists and then also taking a few classes myself that I was able to finish this album in uh, just last year called uh, Unified Worldwide and it still touches on different issues in community too but uh, yeah so it's one of those achievements where I felt like I grew as an artist from writing lyrics in English to writing lyrics in the Hmong language. Yeah, this is a very, very interesting initiative. And I was wondering, since you've mentioned, I, I, I guess I would assume that like one of the challenges that you face in creating this album is being able to translate your English lyrics into Hmong. Could you tell us more about like the difficulties that you faced? Yeah, because it's initially, you know, when we think about it, it's the, the complexity is 
am I just translating my thoughts in English into Hmong and what gets lost in translation, right? So for me, it was getting deeper into a Hmong perspective, a Hmong worldview, right? Not just translating my American thoughts into Hmong lyrics. And I think that was part of the growth. And that's why I couldn't just release it as that. Um, and I think it got, I had to go deeper into the way that we see the world, Hmong people see the world through my language. <clears throat> and I think that helped it feel more authentic to me. And uh, I did it through, through my grandmother, just hanging out with her, talking more with her, with other elders too, not just my grandmother and having more conversations with them and um, getting to understand the way they see the world. And uh, I think that helped shape the way I wrote my lyrics and also reconnecting with my relatives that are still in Thailand. And uh, I would connect to them over like social media and continue talking to them. And I think that really helped me uh, really uh, figure out how I wanted to write my album but then I would say uh, that and knowing that this album is touching on various issues and that this is kind of a new social issues and a new, uh, I guess, type of way of uh, expressing our, our songs for a lot of the Hmong community who are more used to seeing arts as entertainment, like for love songs. or um, and, and there's some deep... Uh, meaningful songs too about uh, you know uh, missing the homeland and everything like that too but <clears throat> but to actually write about different issues that we're experiencing um, I think that was uh, an important to really uh, express through my album and so I think that um, being able to to write that and and put it out was something new and I'm glad that like some teachers see it as an educational tool. They've approached me about using my album to teach their students, um, among American students in different states. So I think that like I'm seeing the value of it not as this like popular artist trying to like you know that's popping. Like my album isn't <clears throat> popping like that, but it is seen as this meaningful uh, educational tool. I guess for me, at where I'm at in my life, that really makes sense that it would be utilized that way. So before we get into like your album being used as an educational tool, because I know that there's like a whole curriculum that you incorporated together with the album. Um, I just wanted to go back what you said about, you know, hanging out with your aunts, your grandmother in order to inform a lot of the lyrics in Hmong. So was that process sort of like bouncing off ideas when you write off a lyrics? Do you ask your aunts or grandmother, does this make sense? Or is this like the lived realities of the Hmong people? Like, could you tell us more about the process of like just making sure things don't get lost in translation? I think when it was interacting with my, my grandma, my aunts and, and uh, uncle, other elders, it was more just conversational to really like get deeper understanding. I think when going, what you're referencing also is after I wrote my lyrics, I would go back to, it was mostly my parents and uh, friends that were really, uh, they were my peers, but then they had a deeper knowledge of Hmong language who were giving me that feedback of what would make sense, uh, what 
and and you know what type of words I should be using to express this thought. And so I definitely went through that process with with uh, my parents and uh, my friends that were uh, kind of language specialists to give me that feedback before I uh, put my music my lyrics out. Yeah. So it was a combination of both of just getting really immersed into among perspective through storytelling really or listening to stories and then uh, really checking it with my parents and my friends you mentioned that you the the recently released album i, I believe it was last year no just 2021 yep this album has a curriculum created so that you spread it in schools and then they use your album as a way of educating Hmong Americans in the U.S. Can you tell us more about that initiative? Yeah, so I, uh, through, and, and this is for me growing up in Minnesota, I would say it's one of the places that has a lot of support for the arts, community-based arts in particular, because there's a lot of funding through different arts foundations um, and through the city, and there was the Legacy Fund, which um, is uh, funds that were allocated towards the arts in, in the Twin Cities. So I was able to apply for funding through the Humanity Center that uh, basically would help fund uh, the development of the album and the curriculum. <clears throat> well, parts of it, I should say, because it was definitely also just funded through myself and through donations. <clears throat> So we created a curriculum called United Creative Learning, and there's a Hmong word for it too, which was uh, and which is mean united through the arts. And we, uh, it was more about engaging young people into their cultural identity through songs. Uh-huh. And I was interacting with some Hmong educators who had spent a lot of years developing curriculums for language and for Hmong studies in the sense of like Hmong history and Hmong American experiences. And one of their concerns uh, with teaching Hmong students their, this, these curriculums is that even though it's like these are curriculums that we would have wanted growing up, that some Hmong students don't understand the value of it, right? So they feel disengaged through these curriculums. And um, I suggested that uh, try using arts, you know, like uh, art, because there are a lot of Hmong artists. And, and for me, it's music, but definitely all types of arts. And <clears throat> so for me, I wanted to create this arts element to helping to engage students into their cultural identity, where they get to write songs and poems along with what they're learning in, with these curriculums. So it was more of a, an arts uh, kind of, support for curriculums that exist by these amazing teachers and so I created it and I was sharing it with a few teachers and because it touches on issues like losing culture, cultural identity, mental health, um, uh, gender equality like women, uh, uplifting Hmong women and uh, various issues that uh, young people are experiencing that the teachers wanted to really use this. And so we were breaking down each song and how it touches on each issue and how students could write their own, uh, their own like story or experiences 
creatively through these different themes. And so that's kind of how we structured the curriculum. Your life trajectory actually shows how you value education. And I think this is very apparent because you are now a graduate student at UW-Madison, no? What was your motivation in continuing school? Traditionally, I'm, I wasn't actually doing well academically through K-12. through Like, I, I actually was, uh, there was a chance I was not going to graduate high school. And it was just, like, I didn't really know have a, a motivation or know my place or I felt disconnected to what I was learning in school. And um, so I, I definitely got through high school and graduated. And um, I think my parents really wanted me to go to college. So I went just just for, for my parents. <clears throat> but I really didn't know what I was doing and where I was going. So I dropped out of college. And I went to community college at first. And then I worked for a few years. and. I guess I just had that moment that like I want to maybe I want to go back and do something and so I went back but I had this new um, I guess perspective I wanted to just take courses that I felt I would be have a strong interest in so I remember that I I, I really liked writing so I took creative writing um, I took courses that uh, I really felt strong about but um, it's also because I encountered professors that really impacted me to this day. Like, it was a professor that really introduced civil rights, social justice to me, and, and it really activated me to really want to be more involved and connected to uh, that type of work. And, and then there was an, another uh, professor that was just a really great storyteller. He was teaching psychology, but his stories were just so entertaining, humorous, and taught life lessons that... I just felt like I didn't realize that there were going to be professors like this <laughs> in, in academia. And, and uh, my creative writing professor just told me that after, you know, submitting a lot of writing and through class that he, he told me one day that, that I have something special and that I should keep going. And I felt like it gave me a value that I had something and, and that's why my grades were improved to A's and B's in, in college. And but before that, I felt like I had nothing. Like I felt like I didn't have any direction in life. So, so it had a significant impact on me um, in higher ed, and it kind of shaped my path. Because right? right after I just uh, I got done with my um, undergrad, I just got right into community work, you know, doing after-school arts programming, organizing community, and continuing to do my arts. Um, and so I think for me that had a significant impact. And after doing community work for 15 years, I always had this ambition to go back. And uh, maybe I could be one of those professors that impacted me one day. Um, and it can be in community college, it can be in a university, but um, I just had that uh, ambition for myself, <clears throat> and so I, uh, you know, when I had the opportunity to just go back, and I was connecting to different professors because I was already doing presentations for uh, conferences just as a community member, but um, I was able to meet college professors through those experiences and make those connections, and eventually just apply, and I was able to be accepted at. Uh, 
UW-Madison. And um, I felt really positive that this was a, a different path, but it was just another step in my, uh, I guess, my life um, where I would want to experience growth and um, continue to, uh, you know, I guess, give back in a different way. Yes, thank you for sharing that. So two, like your life is very inspiring. Like you've dabbled in a lot of different activities. You know, you have a lot of skills, like you do hip hop, spoken word, um, you do community work and education and all that. And now you're studying in grad school. So what I want to know is like, what is what is the future for Tusike? Like, what are your projects? What are your plans? Feel free to use this space to kind of plug your future projects or whatever you're developing at the moment. Now, at this point, um, you know, I really definitely it's been a huge adjustment in graduate school. So I uh, after 15 years of not being in, in school, but um, I think, like I said, it's been an area of growth. And I'm just referencing that because, you know, I did think about like not really focusing on anything creative while I was in grad school and just focusing on my academics. But, you know, I got some good advice from Grace that I should <laughs> continue to, uh, you know, make time for my creativity eventually. Um, but one project that I would love to uh, continue um, that I already worked on it, uh, is my memoir my grandmother and I called My Grandma Can Freestyle is the name of it. And it's because I found out she can freestyle because she oh, wow. never learned how to read or write. She never had the opportunity to go to school. So she either memorized these poems or she memorized these poems that were passed on to her or she would freestyle them. I was like, whoa, my grandma could freestyle. That's so cool. And <laughs> um, because uh, we collaborated for 10 years and um, – Unfortunately, she passed in 2017. Um, my way of grie my way of grieving her passing was through uh, writing this book memoir about our experiences collaborating together. And so I like went on this retreat in Thailand, where I was in this village next to a waterfall, and I started writing this book. But I knew that it was going to take a while, <laughs> take a few years. So. Um, few years later, I have, uh, you know, written a manuscript, but it's incomplete. There's still aspects of this book that I need to, to add on and write. And um, I'm, I'm hoping to finish this memoir um, while I'm in grad school. And because uh, it does definitely connect to a lot of what I'm learning, you know, or what I'm studying about uh, with cultural identity and Hmong diaspora. Um, <clears throat> and uh, you know, submit it to be published by the time I graduate or right after I graduate sometime. So that's definitely a, a project I'm looking forward to finishing. Okay, we're almost out of time, but I wanna take this um, opportunity to thank you for your, your time. Um, thank you for sharing with us your wonderful background, your advocacies, like your current projects. And yeah, thank you for being with us at Surge. I hope you enjoyed like our little conversation. I appreciate the platform too, and that uh, you know this is something that I want to continue sharing these type of stories. 
But uh, I also wanted to say that, yeah, there's definitely a lot of challenges that we experience in life. And building that resiliency was, was really important to me. And I think that really going into my history of understanding my parents' experiences and my grandparents, they're, they're experiencing war, war trauma, and, and being able to like persevere was a huge inspiration that I continue to carry with me to this day as I experience my own challenges, um, but that uh, I hope to continue to uh, connect and you know share more of my, my stories as well as hear others, um, and hopefully it can inspire others to share theirs. So thank you.